at chapter 29. We'll be giving our attention to verses 1 to 14 today. Before we do that, just a, a couple comments. A few weeks ago um, is when I think Alyssa gave the first announcement for what you just heard from Todd about this equip course that's going to be every Sunday in August. The goal for that course is to increase our heart for the city around us, to be involved for good where we live. Um, you see on the wall behind me this reminder of the three callings of the church, every church, which is to worship God, to grow in our likeness to Christ, and to go and make disciples. We have plans, we have organization for how we do the first two, worship God, that's primarily our Sunday morning setting. Um, growing in Christ as our discipleship groups. But the go part has always been a little fuzzy, less defined, not well directed. Um, and so we want to strengthen that part of our lives here and make a positive difference in our city as followers of Christ. So the course is going to help us to do that. But this morning is sort of the big picture. <clears throat> to go to a text that reminds us of why it's important that that is a, a functional, intentional part of our lives, being involved in the lives of our city. Long ago, <clears throat> the Lord revealed His heart for the city when He said this to His people, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. And that's what He's saying to us today as we look through Jeremiah 29 to a situation that happened centuries ago, but that relates to us today, and God has a word for us in it. So let me begin with prayer today, and then we'll walk through the passage to see its lessons for us. So Lord, we come before you as those ready to receive what you hear. We ask for hearts to receive for, for what you have to say to us. Um, you, what you did centuries ago reflects your heart. It reflects your purposes for the world, your purposes for us as your church. And so would you give us openness now to receive from you the encouragement and the call of this passage. And above all, may Jesus Christ be glorified because none of this happens without him. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Let's read verses 1 to 3. <clears throat> These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So that's our introduction. That gives us the background setting for this period of history. The time was not long after 597 B.C., that was the year that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon laid siege to Jerusalem. He conquered the city. He took the people as captives to his country. 
Those captives included all the people that are mentioned in verses 1 and 2. The royal family, governing officials, prophets and priests, craftsmen, and thousands of other people. Ezekiel, by the way, would have been one of those prophets taken into exile at this time. He has a great big part of the Bible. This whole thing was recorded in 2 Kings 24. Now, that was a massive relocation of the Jewish people away from their home country into a foreign land. They became exiles. They were strangers in a strange place. They were displaced from what was familiar, and they wanted to go back home. But this was not without reason that all of this happened. It was the national consequence for centuries of their increasing unfaithfulness to the Lord. There were a people that was called and blessed by God and given so much grace, but they turned away from Him. In chapter 1 of Jeremiah, the Lord summarized their situation this way. He said, I brought you into, into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. So in other words, every spiritual office in Israel that was supposed to lead people to faithfulness to their God, they had all become corrupt. They had become indistinguishable from the wicked nations around them. They didn't know the Lord anymore, and so they went into exile as a consequence for their sin. It was God's long-delayed judgment that He waited for centuries, but eventually it came to pass. But here's the thing. The Lord didn't write off His people even then. He still had purposes for them, and plans to do them good because, as we learned in Exodus 34, what the Lord said to Moses, God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And so, through Jeremiah, who is a prophet who is still in Jerusalem, hadn't been taken captive, God sends this letter to those who are in Babylon as captives. And it was full of hope and full of instruction about how they were to live in their exile. This applies to us today because the church is the true Israel, the people that is gathered around Israel's Messiah, Jesus Christ. And we also are called exiles in the scriptures. This is not our true home. In Hebrews, which we, we did previously to this, our series on Hebrews, in Hebrews, we're called strangers and exiles on the earth. That's what believers are. This isn't our true home. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come, says the writer of Hebrews. The Christian's true home is shown to us in Revelation, the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's the dwelling place of God in the renewed heaven and the renewed earth. 
Paul voiced the heart of every person transformed by faith in Christ. In 2 Corinthians, he said, We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. (laughs) That's where our real home is, with Him in the new heaven and the new earth. But meanwhile, we are exiles. We are displaced from our true home. So how do we live here? The Lord says to those exiles in Babylon how to live and what they should remember, and it applies to us in principle. So the letter that follows has four perspectives or instructions or or principles that apply to us. We're going to identify all those four. So let's begin. The first one is this, first principle to exiles. You don't just live here. (laughs) You were sent You don't just live here. You don't just live where you are living right now by sort of happenstance. You were sent. That comes from verse 4. The letter begins with this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Notice that word sent. I sent you there. I sent you into Babylon. Sent means intentionality. (laughs) They're in Babylon because of God's purpose, God's orchestration. Sent means God was at work in all of this. What was happening wasn't just what you see happening. You weren't just captured by an invading army with an insatiable desire to expand their empire. You weren't just unlucky enough to be captured while other people escaped. No, you are there because I sent you there. That's what God says to these exiles. It's where he wanted them to be right now. Now that touches on a key attribute of God in the scriptures, which is that God is in ultimate control over all things in our lives, both the good and the bad. He is. Nothing happens without the Lord's permission. Nothing happens without it being a part of His all-wise, all-knowing, and ultimately good plan for the people who put their trust in Him. We don't need to look any farther than the cross of Christ to know that. The most evil thing that has ever happened in this world is the execution of God's own Son on the cross by wicked people. And yet Isaiah 53 says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. The Lord did it. The cross was also God's doing. Why? Because the, Christ, the, the death of Christ was what was necessary for us to be saved. On the cross, Jesus bore our blame and our punishment for our sins, to satisfy God's justice and secure our pardon. It says in Isaiah, He shall make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. So what people mean for evil, God means for good to those who put their trust in Christ, even if it was the murder of His own Son. The exiles were supposed to see themselves as sent into Babylon. 
not just people displaced from their true home. And it's the same thing with us. We are also sent by God into the places we now live. His sovereign hand orchestrated us being where we are right now. We see that in Acts 17, 26. Paul said to a gathered audience that the Lord made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So you live where you do and when you do because of God's sovereign decision. You are sent to Aurora, to the Denver Metro. God sent you here. He sent me here. Now in May, I was given a visual reminder of that, which I want to show you. I hope that we have that slide. I finished a pilot program called the Antioch Cohort which was intended to help our churches to bring the good news of Jesus to our cities. So there it is. That's the picture of my plaque, this wall hanging that I have. And it says, you are sent. And behind it, you're going to see, you see the map there. There's a Google map of Aurora, right? Our church is that little marker there in the middle, sort of, upper left. And then that's all the area around it. And it just so happens, they didn't know this, but within that area that's pictured on the map is my house and all the places that this church has met in the last 14 years. <laughs> they didn't know that they were, they were picking the exact spot where we've been. And you see the words, you are sent, and my name on it. Now, that's not a mindset that I've always had about Aurora. The longest, for the longest time, I was confident that I was sent to this church, but I never really felt like I was sent to the city, to this place, to its people. Even when I got that plaque, it says, you are sent, and I thought, am I? Am I really? But Jeremiah 29 says, yes, you are. I am, and you are. You are here by God's decision. You're sent. It's a different mindset. So it raises the question, why am I here? Why are you here? What's God's purpose for putting us in this city? Well, we find out as we continue the letter. Here's the next principle, which is that this isn't your ultimate home, but make a home in it. <laughs> it's not your ultimate home, but make a home here. It comes from verses 5 and 6. Here's what you do as exiles. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. In other words, don't put your life on hold just because you're not in your true home. Make a home. Go about your daily business of maintaining your life. Plant the garden. Eat the fruit. Go to your job. Make, make income. Get in there. You know, do it. Be a part of this place. Think long term. Get married. Have kids. Have grandkids. Let there be generations that you raise up after you. Really, he's telling them, remember the creation mandate in the Garden of Eden. Work the earth. 
Bring forth its, its produce and go be fruitful and multiply. He's saying you can still do that in Babylon. You can still do that in Aurora. You can still do that in 2022. Here, let's think about why they and we would need a reminder like this. For the Jewish exiles, their issue was that false prophets were telling them, you're not going to be there very long. So, you know, get ready to pack. That's what they are being told. In verses 8 and 9, the Lord says, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie. What was the lie? Well, in chapter 28, there was this false prophet called Hananiah who said this, God is going to break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, within two years. <laughs> two years, that's it. This is going to be short. You can imagine how easy it would be for those exiles to really latch on to that hope, right? Good, two years. I can hold out that long, you know. I just can't wait to get out of here and go back home. They had a short-timer mentality, like the person who puts in their two-week notice at work. Like, you don't start any new projects when you know you're about to leave. <laughs> you don't get invested. You're not fully present anymore. That's what they were going through. But the reality is that this exile was going to last 70 years. That's the duration God set for it in Jeremiah 25, 11. These nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So in this letter, God's telling them, this isn't your true home, but make your home in it. Don't put your life on hold. Be fruitful and multiply even in Babylon. So now here's how this intersects with our lives. We can be tempted in this way to not be fully present and committed to being invested in where we live, even as believers in Christ. We can have a short-timer mentality and not really think that there's, there's more for me to do here, that there's a long-term uh, plan in place. One reason that comes to mind where we don't necessarily plug in and, and really live is concern or even despair about the condition of the world and where it seems to be going. The question can cross the mind of a new couple. Do we want to bring kids into this world? You know, do they have a chance of a happy life given what's going on? I had thoughts like that 30 years ago before we had Stephanie and the rest of our kids. A person can get cynical, defeatist, fearful even, because of the challenges of living in our present-day Babylon, so to speak. We might think, what's the point of making long-term plans? What's the point of building for the future if it's all going downhill? We can think of all kinds of worst-case scenarios and lose zeal for doing even the basic tasks of, like, living. We aren't to think like that. Instead, we remember... God is the sovereign ruler of this world. And he wants his people to multiply and not decrease, both in the physical and in the spiritual sense. His plan is to build this church, which is going to reach into every corner of this world. 
His plan is to have a multitude of those who follow Christ and enter into their eternal home together. We can and should be about that, whether that's in Babylon or Aurora. That leads to the third principle. Don't think only of yourself. Seek the welfare of the city. Don't think only of yourself. Seek the welfare of the city. This is from verse 7. This is the heart of the matter. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Do you see the heart of God here, friends? He wanted the Jewish exiles to seek the well-being of the people who took them captive. Babylon, <laughs> seek their welfare. This is a pagan nation. This is a nation bent on idol worship and unlawful conquest and pride. And yet God wanted them to be a blessing. He wanted his people to be a blessing to those people, even to their enemies, to make their lives better, to make the city of Babylon a better place for everybody to live. One of the purposes of God in sending his people to exile was the welfare of the Babylonians, not just for his people. And that's always been God's purpose for those people who are in relationship with him, that we should be a blessing to others. To Abraham, he said, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And doesn't that sound so much like the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. Or as Jesus said in Luke 6:27, love your enemies and pray for those and do good to those who hate you, he said. Doesn't that sound so much like what Jesus did himself both in his ministry and on the cross? Peter said about Jesus in Acts 10, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And the ultimate good he did was to die on the cross for our sins. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's our calling, friends. God's purpose for us in our exile in this world is to seek the welfare of the city where he has sent us and pray to the Lord on its behalf, not just on our behalf. That means caring about the people around us. That means looking for ways to make their lives better, ways to make our city a better place for everyone to live. Now, we have challenges to think that way, don't we? This isn't natural, I don't think. It's not natural to me. One of the challenges is self-focus. Self-focus comes naturally to us. It's easy to spend all our time seeking our own welfare and the welfare of our own families. And often that means I have no time for the welfare of anybody around me. 
But I love how the Lord anticipates this problem in the text. (laughs) He gives us this motivation for caring about the city we live in. He says, in its welfare, you will find your welfare. In other words, be an influence for good in your city because that helps everyone, including you. As one old commentator put it, every passenger is concerned in the safety of the ship. It's actually good for you to do good to others. Jesus called believers salt of the earth. Salt is a preservative that prevents decay and adds flavor. If you don't want your city to decay, which affects you, then bring the grace of Christ into people's lives through good works and gospel words. That's our saltiness. Show a different look to how life can be. Show people the possibility of a relationship with Jesus Christ and the kinds of things that He came to do to renew us, to restore us to what's been lost by sin. Let's be about that. Now, it's not accurate in every case, but I think in our day, the church at large has a reputation for being more interested in preserving our rights than in seeking the welfare of the city. At least I think that's how we're seen in the media. It's not always fair, but I think it raises the question in our own hearts, is, does that resonate? Is that where I am? Is that what I'm mostly concerned about? Myself, my rights. What we want to be noticed for, what we want to actually be doing, is loving our neighbors and how we do that well how we seek their welfare. That's how we represent the gospel of God who has sought our welfare through Jesus Christ who sends us out to do the same thing. I'll mention one more obstacle of seeking the welfare of the city, and I think this is current for our times. An obstacle is when we view the people all around us as a threat or as the enemy instead of as our mission field the people that we're called to care about. It's no secret that the church exists in a majority non-Christian culture, so everything from entertainment to governance is going to reflect that, and often what you see and experience is opposed to faith in Christ, and that can make us tend to isolate and turn inward and be self-protective and be all about that. We can even be fearful Or we can even be angry and just start lobbying social media posts out there about how terrible the world is. But that's not what God has called us to do. He wants us to be in the world, just not of it. (laughs) Maintain your identity with Christ. Maintain your allegiance and faithfulness to Him. But be in it. Get out there and and mix it up. And don't just be criticizing it, but like be part of the the solution. Bring goodness, bring Christ's grace into this environment around around us. It's better for everybody. Babylon was no different for the Jews. The majority culture there knew nothing about God. And yet that was the culture they were called to care about. Because those people and all the people around us are made in the image of God. You heard that on that one-minute video. People have an intrinsic worth. 
and being image bearers of the living God. They are redeemable. They were made for something so much greater, worshiping God and enjoying Him forever. But sin has wrecked it, and we have the opportunity to help them see something different as we've received ourselves. Now, what does it look like in practice, this seeking the welfare? Well, think about what Jesus said in the parable about the sheep and the goats. The sheep are the, the people who follow him. The goats are the ones who don't. Here's how he described them. This is, this is how you know the real thing. This is how you know the real Christian. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Those are all examples of helping the weak, the vulnerable, and the needy. Individual lives. There was a guy in prison. You went to him. There was somebody who was sick. You brought them something. They were, they were going without. You gave them something. Individual people doing individually good things for the weak, the vulnerable, and the needy all around us. He says, that's a sheep. That's somebody who, to whom the Father is going to say, Welcome. <laughs> That brings us to what you heard about through Alyssa. And Todd mentioned it again, this, this series of meetings that we're going to have called Equip. As in equip us to seek the welfare of our city. <laughs> the Lord stirred Spencer and Alyssa with this idea. In April, they sent us a long email of the kind that any pastor should love. <clears throat> The subject line was ministry proposal. And it wasn't one of those emails that just says, hey, why aren't we doing such and such with no, uh, I'll help you. <laughs> no, they articulated our need to be involved in the city. They had a detailed plan for how to do it. And they offered themselves as the champions to lead the way in making it happen. It's like, so mental note there. If you want to get something done, that's how you do it. That, that's how the mission goes forward. <laughs> so starting next Sunday, we have a short break after church, then lunch. And uh, to quote the email that went out, a four-week study to help inspire, motivate, and equip you to go serve in our community in a way that holds high the gospel and preserves the dignity of the served. And some potential ways that we can do that practically will be explained. So I hope that you can join that. Um, Todd mentioned you can still sign up today. So I think there's a link that went out in the email. You can do that. Or if you don't have the link, talk to one of the elders or Alyssa uh, or Savannah. Or the sign-up sheet. That's even easier. Do that. <laughs> <clears throat> There's one more principle in the text. We really need this one if we're going to be fully present in our community and seek the welfare for the long haul. I'll word it this way. Life is hard in exile, but the Lord safeguards your welfare. The Lord safeguards your welfare. If you're familiar with Jeremiah 29, 
it's probably because of these last five verses, which have been an encouragement and have been memorized by countless believers who have been discouraged and need encouragement. So verses 10 to 14 say this, For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. The context of those promises that so many of us have latched onto is these believers who were sent to Babylon because of the wickedness of the nation their own nation, to go and do them good. And he says, when 70 years are up, you're going to be coming back. I'm going to bring you back. You're going to find me. This paragraph is full of hope for everybody who seeks the Lord, everybody who puts their faith in God and His Son, Jesus Christ. The same God who sent us into exile says He has plans for us, plans for welfare and not for evil. While we are seeking the welfare of others, God is seeking our welfare. In fact, He's more than seeking it. He's planning it. He's got a strategy. He's carrying it out right now. There's dates on His calendar where He says, I'm going to bring you into your fortunes. I'm going to restore it. It's going to happen. The passage is full of I wills. Promises that he's going to do these things for us that will result in our eternal and everlasting good. The first I will, God said, I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For the Jews, that meant you're going to go back to Jerusalem. Babylon isn't where the story ends. I'm going to bring you back to the promised land, the one that I promised to Abraham and all of his offspring. This is where you're going to be. I'm going to make it happen. And starting next week, we're going to do a series on Ezra and Nehemiah, which is about that period where they start coming back and what happens when they come back. But for believers today, this points to the promise that God makes to us as well. The Lord is going to bring us to the promised land of the new heaven and the new earth. I will do it, he says. You can, you can count on it. It is certain I'm going to bring you there. I'm going to bring you to the new Jerusalem, the city that Hebrews describes as whose designer and builder is God. Don't you want to be in a place that has been designed by God for your welfare? <laughs> I mean, that has to be amazing. <laughs> the infinite God, infinitely wise and has no restrictions on what he can do, has designed a city for your welfare that you will live in forever. <laughs> and that is certain for those who are seeking the Lord. I'll tell you what, that will help you get through your exile. 
knowing that your story doesn't end here, that it continues and it gets even better. And that means our hope is not ultimately that we can reshape this city. We don't ultimately have control over how that goes. We can't turn everything to our favor. We can't avoid suffering. But we have this certainty that there's a city whose designer and builder is God, and it's for our welfare. But the hope isn't all future. The Lord promises His help right now. He says, you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. The Lord makes himself available and knowable to everybody who's truly seeking him. If you seek him with all your heart, you will find him. Which means you will experience that sometimes these aha moments in the word where you get insight, comfort, wisdom, strength. Those moments are going to happen. You're going to find him. He's going to show up. He's going to do something in your soul that it gives you new life. If you're seeking him with all your heart, genuinely, you're going to learn that Jesus is a very present help in trouble, a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's a right now thing. You'll find peace in knowing the Lord of glory who rules over this world, and yet he humbled himself on a cross bearing your sin. So God promises to be with us in our exile. In every day of our lives, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest, Jesus said. And he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's help in the exile and there's the certainty of life and welfare after it. So let me close with this. God's message to us this morning is that he sent you to live here in Aurora, in other parts of Denver metro area. He sent you here. And that's where he wants us to put our roots down and commit to being fully invested, functioning as a member of this community. Of course, God can call you away from here. When we lived in Minnesota, I never thought we were going to go anywhere. I thought we would be there forever. <laughs> and then he called us away and he brought us here to Aurora. But unless he's doing something obvious like that, this city is where he wants you to make a difference. And me. And that means this is the city where we are to care about people and pray for them. God has a people here for us to bless. And while we're doing that, we can be sure of his blessing. We will find him to be all we need day by day. And we know our ultimate welfare is secure with him. So I look forward to going through the equip course with many of you. I hope you'll take the opportunity to sign up because the goal of it is that we could seek the welfare of this city together. So however many of you, God puts that on your heart, please sign up. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, help us to retain this, this mindset. Uh, we might have just felt like being here, being here now was sort of just 
the result of a whole bunch of decisions that may or may not have been good ones or weren't or weren't even we were forced into it who knows like we don't necessarily know just as we look around us that there was purpose in all of this that there is purpose that you've actually equipped us to be involved in the world and to make a big difference but that is true and so lord help us to see it and above all lord help us to rest in your promise that you have sought our welfare you have secured our welfare through the cross of Christ, in whom we have forgiveness and peace with God. We thank you. Amen. Let's stand.